you want to say that again? Because this could be a like, what have you been thinking about or what are you doing kind of segment. You don't have to if you don't want to, if that was personal. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I think it's worth, to some extent, we should be willing to just talk about like our experience with the retreat because it's something that um, gets people's attention and connects them to something inside themselves that they maybe they, they don't give time and space to all the time. I don't know if that makes yeah. any, any sense, but like it's something that we did. So I'm not in the habit of thinking about like, whoa, you know, this thing that I did. But um, I don't know, maybe there's value in, in sharing that kind of thing with people. Well, it's There's so much that sort of collides here, right? Because a lot of this training is about not reinforcing your ego and not clinging to experiences and things like that. Um, so I think in a way, like you and I and people who've done a three-year retreat probably let go of it, ideally, much more than people who know us and hear about it do. Partly because it's our, our own experience and we've moved on and are doing other things now, but also because we, we have a sense that we shouldn't uh, kind of puff ourselves up about it either. One of the reasons I wanted to talk about this when, when you brought it up was like, uh, because I've been watching this show called Alone. Mm. Have you heard about that? Uh-uh. It's a reality show where they drop these people off in the wilderness. I only watched season seven, which was like the Arctic challenge. But um, they drop these people off in the Arctic along this lake uh, in like September or something. And they're going to be there for 100 days. And they have to survive. They're only allowed to bring 10 items with them. And they do their own camera work. They're totally alone. So they just give them some cameras and stuff. And, um, and then they just have to exist alone in the wilderness for 100 days. And... I know I mentioned on an earlier episode here watching the the Jailbirds reality show about these women in prison and thinking that there was like I recognized some stuff that was like familiar from my experience with retreat and similarly with this alone thing you know like there was a point like 60 days in or something where they had a montage of like several of the different participants saying how like what a change it is to just be out of society, you know, and like what, what happens with your mind? Like they were, had this montage of people talking about all these memories that came back, you know, like all these things they hadn't thought about in forever that just sort of resurfaced and they were able to like examine them and value them and learn from them. And, um, and I remember that happening for sure. Uh, and I mean, for me, it happened over, obviously we were there for more than a hundred days, you know, and that, that kind of, stood out to me too when I was watching this show is I was like, wow, 100 days surviving in the wilderness is a big deal. But it like reminded me like, oh, you know, I, I don't think often enough, I guess, about the fact that what we did is a big deal. You know, like mm-hmm. I, I feel like I'm almost too far on the end of the spectrum where I just let it go. Like, and sometimes I need to be reminded like, no, that is a, a pretty big deal, you know? And we did have some really unique experiences that other people don't have. So to what you were saying, like, I, th- I feel like what, maybe something it unlocks for people is like a, a reminder of what's possible to do. Right. Like even just on a very fundamental level, like most people think they have to go to work on Monday and leave on Friday, you know, right. stuff like that. So 
there's just some very basic truths about our existence that we easily forget because of habit. Yeah. If that isn't like a, a pocket definition of Dharma, I don't know what is, but, um, right. but yeah, I mean, this, this, this idea that like you could do something totally different, you know, you could do something completely unexpected yeah. or completely introspective or completely uh, altruistic, you know, like these ideas are, people know them, but we we forget them. They're just right below the surface. And so I think sometimes like in learning about like a three-year retreat or something, people are reminded of those those truths and it actually like makes things the world a little bit bigger you know yeah yeah um maybe it's just as simple as saying that it kind of connects people with like a larger sense of what's possible and that we can all kind of take chances day to day to like operate outside of everything that's happened up to this point you know like we can do something different um yeah and then it's also uh it's also valuable too in the sense of just um learning how to share yourself so to speak without being attached to that sense of self you know and that's something mm. that's something that applies to all of us too because just not just simply refraining from talking about ourselves or sharing ourselves with the world really doesn't uh uproot attachment to a self being more like i find with myself being more guarded and reluctant to share myself actually is sometimes a stronger form of attachment to a self you know than than just um just going ahead and like sharing it and kind of like not being hung up on it at the same time you know it's like it's like if i don't say anything about myself then i can still just have my nice little sense of self (laughs) whereas if you share it actually uh then we go through that process of like putting ourselves out there and then we're out there and our sense of self in a way starts to fall apart like that because then we could be judged or you know maybe somebody like really likes it or what we do or say or somebody really doesn't like what we do or say and then it's like actually that's a very rich territory to give up your sense of self, you know, or just to kind of like put it out there and let, let what happens happen. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, it definitely like opens the door to a host of, of unknown expectations. I mean, you could probably make some guesses and some predictions about what expectations might arise in the mind of the listener when, when you tell them or somebody else tells them that you've done a, a three-year retreat. But we also have no idea what expectations might come up, good or bad. And yeah. And but there's an awareness that 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 just the knowledge of that history is going to bring up a set of expectations, and then I know I think about that then, you know, like mm-hmm. not wanting to offend someone's sensibilities or, or or wanting to live up to you know like maybe good expectations, but but it is just kind of a whole a whole can of worms. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Yeah. It, it's really just one of the the treasures of, of us being able to have these kind of conversations because it's such a unique thing. Although I'm sure it shares some, um, some qualities as well with things like alone, the TV show or Mm -hmm. time in jail or time in the military, you know, like I'm sure there's lots of stuff like that where, where people have a unique experience over a long period of time. And then everyone has their own package of, of, uh, 
presumptions about that person than because of it. Another thing you're making me realize too is there's also maybe some resistance to talking about that stuff because it sort of pulls the past into the future and tapes it to your forehead. Right. You know, like you 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 may be doing something completely different, but then all of a sudden you're wearing the the three year retreat card on your forehead or something. Um, right. Right. Yeah, I mean, more and more, what's really valuable is to kind of extract ways in which that unique experience kind of applies to, um, you know, all all of us, basically. Like, what can we kind of extract from having gone through that that applies to ourselves and others, like, broadly, or in, like, little moments um, in, in the kind of lives that we live now, and... And that sort of thing. Like, that's the kind of the enduring value of it is to continue to work with the basic principles, which actually are things that apply to all of us, I think, you know. I mean, in some ways, small examples of some of the things that we learned in retreat are, like, just as daring for people to uh, apply in everyday life. Like, if you just chose to for example, take a a vow of silence for like one day or something like that. I mean, that actually is like a huge thing to do, you know? The the amount of time is not necessarily like the most important thing with with all this kind of thing. So like just, that's like a, a relatively small example, but I think there are ways that the psychology of what we might have taken away from that experience um, is kind of in play in a more immediate way than we, than we might typically think. Like, you know, those, those states of mind are actually very available um, and, and maybe it doesn't require quite the kind of um, extremity or length, length of time, you know, that, that we, put in but like there's a way to kind of access it uh some of those things more directly in everyday life i mean that's kind of like the atmosphere of this whole podcast i think you know yeah and you're you're making me think of um like gravity like if you think about uh, like a spaceship going up and getting in an orbit um like we know it takes like thrusters to move it into another orbit you know you can't just like swoop could be in another orbit it takes some energy to to get you know to a different mm. balance you know and like we feel like there's like this gravity that like holds us in these orbits but recognizing that that's just completely an illusion you know mm-hmm. like it's really just us the gravity if anything is is us it, right. It's not really there, it, or, if, or if you know, in any sense that it is, it's just our own creation. And you can take a vow of silence for a day. You know, you just have to do it. You know, and it's not. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that makes it difficult is is your own illusion of that that gravity that's not really even there. You know, you can you can jump to another orbit at any point. Uh huh. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, there's a, like a lot. Of, I feel like there's a lot of. <laughs> implications to some of this that feel kind of deep actually like you know um (laughs) given that uh time is kind of illusory right in the sense that 
if we look back on something that we did in the past, you know, it's just kind of gone now. There's no uh, enduring reality of the past other than kind of how it's shaped us up to now, you know. And so I'm just thinking that, like, given that that kind of illusory or ephemeral reality of the past and things we've done in the past, having done something like taking a vow of silence for one day could theoretically produce a powerful imprint in one's stream of being. I mean, who knows, but I'd be tempted to just push it all the way and say, you know, who knows, maybe as powerful of an imprint as someone who took a vow of silence for a year, depending on how sincere the individuals in uh, consideration were and like how much went into the motivation for doing that and that sort of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. As, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Atypical as an action seems in our relative experience um, could actually give it like bonus impact, you Mm -hmm. know? Right, right. So it's like, it's totally wild for you to take a a one day vow of silence. That could be something that is incredibly impactful for the rest of your life because you never do it. And so it's going to stand out. Right. Because relatively speaking, that was a huge departure for you. you Yeah, exactly. And then maybe like another element of it too is like kind of considering considering the uh, qualitative dimension as being more significant than the quantitative dimension. Mm. You know, like how you took a day-long vow of silence rather than, um, uh, you know, like the way in which you did it, even if it was just for a day, could have more of an impact than a year or something like that. But, you know, it's also, it brings up to me, like, just another way of phrasing some of this, some of these ideas would be, like, just to say that, you know, ultimately a year will be gone just as much as a day will be gone. So it's like, it's not necessarily about the duration of time. I mean, all that's going to be just gone like a dream anyway, (laughs) you know. So yeah. it's like what, what I just mean, like, you know, just as another way to kind of express the um, the maybe the prominence of the qualitative aspect of all of this. Um, and I may be taking you out of context, but I know you said something like how, like how you take a, a day of uh, of silence and, and what like a perfect day of silence and our perception of what that is is going to impact how we felt about that day right. of silence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's the same thing that I'm saying. But at the same time, like maybe there's more growth in working with that gap between where we are and what we think is the perfect way of doing it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because like we've had number of conversations about religion and and about religious organizations and and how they work and there, there's a like maybe a framework in how you should do something or an idea that you have or that an organization has there's like a level of how in terms of like what you want to do and then there's a level of how in terms of like how you relate to whatever whatever ends up happening however 
close or far from the mark you you land. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe like another way of saying that would be that um, like we all kind of have to like make the teachings real through the particulars of our own makeup, like our own filters, you know. I mean, it has to mm-hmm. it has to become real for for me, and it has to become real for you. Like like you're saying that the growth takes place in letting the teachings basically just come into contact with our subjective fields of karma, you know. In a way, it's almost like the teachings are like a contrast solution. You know mm-hmm. that stuff that they make people drink for X-rays. Uh huh. You know, so in in the in the sense that like you drink this stuff, right, and then it helps you see where stuff is and how it's working. Right, right, right. You know, so it's not like the the answer is in the teaching or the contrast solution. That the answer is in like what it highlights. You know, mm-hmm. what it brings to light. You know, for in your body or mm-hmm. or in your your mind. You know. Yeah. Definitely. And that's where I think there is so many mistakes we all make with this stuff, you know, mm. because we inevitably we tend to think it's it's about, you know, the, the concepts of the teaching or the method of the ritual, you know, but that's never what it's about. <laughs> it's, it's always about what it's illuminating, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like the underlying fundamental point that I would want to illuminate from all of these little discussion points is just that we all have so many opportunities actually to kind of practice and become unstuck you know the the chances to do that are are very available actually like all the time you know yeah especially in the times when we aren't in our ideal situation Mm mm-hmm and and it's like we should sort of infuse those little moments with as much power as they're worth. You know, we shouldn't think, if I can just do a little bit, then what's that really worth? I mean, it's like, actually, the, those little moments, uh, we should imbue them with whatever we can, you know? Yeah. Oh, also, I've been listening to J Rad. Yeah. 825 2016. Okay. At the Lock In Festival. Yeah. They're insane. <laughs> we should probably do an episode where we just go into detail talking about our relationship to the dead because I think that's worth a half hour or something yeah, of analysis. Yeah. But at least to us, it will be. <laughs> right, right. But, but J Rad to me has felt like. Like, it has what I've always missed in the dead. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny, because sometimes... Like, there, the other day I was listening to a Dick's Picks, and then I put on the J-Rad show, and I, they were, in, they were playing a truckin', and I thought... I forgot it was J-Rad. And I was like, wow, this is a really unique version. Uh-huh. Like, this is like... And I remember thinking, like, wow, they, like sometimes I forget how talented the dead really are because, like, this right. is like an impressive, like, jazz-informed 
truck in. Yeah. And there's some truth to that, even if it it was the dead, right? Because I do forget like how they can uh-huh. really do surprisingly technical and True. and 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 genre appropriate kind of things. But but it was J Rad, and I'd kind of forgotten. And, right. and then of course I was like, well, this is this is why I like J Rad because they like do this material with a real strong nod to the original band. Mm-hmm. Like they don't sound like they're trying to be a different band per se, but but they they do it better. Right. <laughs> yeah. They're Sorry, just like that's the they're, truth. Just, they're just straight up better. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Totally. Um, like I mean yeah. By consistency-wise, talent-wise, groove-wise, licks-wise, I mean, all of it. Yeah, and then the thing with J-Rab that takes you by surprise is that, like, they sound really good, and you're like, wow, these guys are amazing. And then one of them will, like, step out and take a solo or, like, just take over the direction of the music for a couple minutes, and you're like, holy shit, these guys are, like, like, they're holding back. <laughs> and they're still like when they're holding back your jaw is on the floor and then yeah and then like marco benevento for example you know the keyboard player will like t- solo or sort of steer the music for a good two or three minutes and then you're just like all right i don't even know what to say anymore they're like some of the best players around you know yeah i mean he's he he could go up against uh not that it's like a contest or anything, but like there aren't that many people on earth that can play piano that well, you know? No. So, but meanwhile, he's just like basically playing in super small clubs and stuff in a rock band. Yeah. Which is, that's a whole cool now, element of it, you know? Now, J-Rad's getting fairly large crowds, right? Like I haven't had the, the good fortune of seeing them live yet, but well, they, I, I think they played like, they, it's a, at least a medium-sized venue in Cleveland. Yeah, they have. They're just in like a really. I feel like a really weird place where they like they do like a strange mix of venues. It's almost like you know ninety three, ninety four fish or something. So I think they're at like a pretty unique level of notoriety or something. Cool. Yeah, I would. I mean, they're actually probably top of my list for bands that I want to go see. Probably even above Fish right now. Believe it or not.